Politics, Politics, and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli, Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists, business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now, it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli. Good afternoon. This is Dean Finelli with Politics and Life Science Radio. Thank you for joining us today where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry as well as politics that affect our country. I'm very happy today to have as our guest Dr. Cheryl White. Uh, she's an author and theologian. Uh, we'll be talking in a few moments about wokeism in the country and how the effect it's having on the country. And to that end, you know, when we look at some of the uh, what's going on with President Biden, he's again, certain polls have him at the lowest that it's been, had he's been rated so far. But, you know, the interesting fact that when I look at these polls is, you know, how they're so, uh, the demarcation between Democrats and Republicans, you know, and certainly when you look at the the president, there's that idea of, okay, he's our guy uh, as Americans, but we also have this, especially lately over the last 10 years or so, this tribalistic mentality where, you know, if he's the guy with the, the letter after his name that matches my letter, I tend to support that person no matter what. And I think it's kind of dangerous when we look at politics that way. You know, I don't think any of us could look across the board and say, hey, we agree with everything a Democrat says or a Republican says. And especially, you know, when we get to the nuances of a lot of these issues, we tend to talk about issues in this country very binary, either you know, they're in my bucket or they're in this bucket. And some of these issues are just extraordinarily complex. And to sort of try and trivialize them and make them into, you know, a yes or no answer um, with this opinion or I'm against this is really, uh, it seems like it's tearing the country apart. And it just seems like every time we turn on the news, uh, we're hearing more and more uh, information about, you know, wokeism and cancel culture and all these other uh, new labels that we tend to have and give to people uh, when we disagree with them. So we'll be talking in a few moments with uh, Dr. White about this subject. Uh, you know, when we look at where Democrats are facing this uh, this coming November, uh, polls continue to show that they're having an uphill battle, uh, you know, rightfully or, you know, whether it's their fault or not, you know, we look at the reality of the situation is, you know, their fundamental issues that Americans look at. We go to the gas station, you know, gas is extremely high, over $4 a gallon where I am. Uh, you know, the price of food has, we hear these numbers that about inflation being 8% compared year over year. But when we look at the dollars that are going out the door, when we go to the supermarket, when we go to the gas station, when we buy consumer products, uh, that's really, I think, what's driving this. So, you know, but nonetheless, when we look at President Biden, uh, especially the major issue that tends to be in the news now is the war in Ukraine. 
you know, the, the president has really done an excellent job. We've, uh, he was right by all measures uh, leading up to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and I think that has been really, and I think most people think that that was really a very compelling that motivated all of Europe and unified uh, the West uh, against Russia, particularly talking about uh, when Russia would uh, attack Ukraine, the fact that it would uh, at a specific time, it, the Biden administration was almost right on in that regard. So we tend to kind of focus a lot on punishing people that we disagree with and not giving them the credit they deserve. You know, certainly, at least so far, um, you know, you may not agree with everything the president has done as it relates to Ukraine, but by and large, uh, he's kept the U.S. and kept Europe uh, for the most part, uh, you know, out of this war, aside from providing uh, ammunition and dollars to support Ukraine. And more importantly, you know, we keep hearing this threat of World War III and Russia using nuclear weapons. You know, that's not a, a trivial task. So those people that are out there that are saying, you know, we need to get more involved. Uh, you know, we have to kind of step back and be reasonable and think, you know, we're across the ocean. You know, a lot of these European countries are right in striking range. So uh, I think the president deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, but it remains to be seen how uh, the Democratic Party uh, is affected this November. It does not look good uh, based on what's going on domestically, whether we're talking about inflation, whether we're talking crime, whether we're just talking about uh, the, the the tenor of feelings in America. Um, shifting gears a little bit to COVID, uh, in the U.S., we're doing extremely well with COVID. We know the BA2 subvariant of Omicron uh, is the dominant strain uh, of the virus that's now infecting the U.S., uh, when we look at what's going on in China, over the last couple of years, China has done very well uh, as it relates to controlling the spread of the virus. Uh, you know, we have to put that asterisk next to very well, though, because, you know, it's an authoritarian regime that had a zero COVID policy, meaning they locked everyone down. You'd get a COVID test positive, uh, communities would be locked down. And that's what we're seeing now. When we look at uh, and hear news coming out of China, uh, the I, one of the problems that I think they had, and Dr. Fauci alluded to this recently, was, you know, they locked down the whole country. Uh, unlike the U.S., which we certainly did have lockdowns for a period of time, but by and large, you know, the, the virus did spread throughout this country. Right now, uh, statistically, I think the, the most recent st statistic I heard was 95% of our country has uh, immunity either based on infection, having natural immunity, or immunity through vaccination. Uh, when you juxtapose that, what's going on in China, uh, because they've locked down, they didn't have that natural immunity. Uh, and combine that with the the uh, fact that the vaccines they're using in China aren't as effective as the mRNA vaccines. Uh, I think we got very fortunate that the efficacy of these mRNA vaccines uh, was really just astounding at over 90 percent uh, in the clinical trials. And even through the variants we've seen, uh, the, the efficacy and effectiveness go down, but nonetheless, getting that booster shot boosted that efficacy back up. So U.S. is in a, a very good position, whereas China right now is undergoing real, very serious lockdowns, uh, trying to get their hands wrapped around this. Uh, one interesting fact that just came out yesterday was uh, the FDA authorized a breath test for uh, the coronavirus. Now, this is not something uh, where you can buy it at a store and do a breath test at home. This is a, uh, a formal test. I believe they use mass spectrometry to uh, get that, those, atomize those uh, 
virus particles to see if you're actually infected or not. And it's very uh, highly accurate in testing positive and negative cases. So uh, that's certainly good news as we continue to uh, move forward through this pandemic. You know, when we look at where we where we are today versus where we come from, uh, you know, we have two vaccines, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine that are extremely effective. Uh, Novavax has a vaccine that not authorized in the U.S. yet, but I believe it's authorized uh, out of outside the U.S., uh, also very effective. So we'll see that pro- likely being authorized in the U.S. shortly. Uh, the role of therapeutics continues to expand. Uh, we know Pfizer has a very effective pill form of Paxlovid that if you take it early on, it's about 90% effective in keeping people out of the hospital. In addition, diagnostic testing is now uh somewhat where it needs to be, I'd say almost where it needs to be, uh, in the fact that we can pretty much go out, you can order online and have a diagnostic test sent to your house. The at-home ready tests are are highly accurate. Uh, When you combine all those things, the fact that we have availability of diagnostic testing, availability of highly accurate and safe and effective vaccines, uh, the, the availability of therapeutics, I don't foresee the U.S. being in a situation where we have to lock down. We know Philadelphia uh, recently uh, went back to a lockdown situation where, uh, or a mandate situation where they're requiring masks. Uh, excuse me, it wasn't a lockdown. It was a mask mandate situation where they're requiring masks. Uh, you know, I think certainly uh, like the flu, when this becomes endemic, there'll be situations where it may be necessary to have kids wear masks at school or in certain situations if there's a localized outbreak. But I think these across the board uh, mandates are passed in the U.S. I don't think they're really necessary at this point for the reasons I just alluded. But nonetheless, uh, you know, again, we've come as a culture, you know, if you have that R after your name, you would be uh, probably criticizing the mayor of Philadelphia very harshly if you have that D. Um, you somewhat understand. So it's, we're really in that situation. It's very unfortunate that we're in this situation where, you know, we tend to not look at the facts. We tend to look at people and if they agree with us, if they don't agree with us, uh, how preposterous some of these situations are. I mean, especially looking back over a couple of years ago when we were talking about um, hydroxychloroquine, uh, clinical trials showed that it didn't really work in clinical trials to help uh, alleviate the effects or symptoms of the coronavirus. Yet to this day, you'll still hear people that are very adamant that they want to use, that they think hydroxychloroquine works. And that's by and large separated by Republicans and Democrats. Republicans tend to think that that works. Uh, Democrats uh, tend to think it doesn't work. And, you know, it's not really a subjective question. You, we did a clinical, several clinical trials. You look at the results and you have empirical data to uh, to sell, to advise the people how to act, advise clinicians and hospitals, uh, you know, what's the best course of action. But again, you know, as I mentioned at the onset of the show, we've become a society that's really just down the middle split. If we disagree with something and, you know, we see the person uh, and we, that we recognize that person's on our team, so to speak, then we tend to have a more favorable opinion of them. I'd like to bring on our guest on Politics and Life Science Radio, uh, Dr. Cheryl White. Dr. White is an author and theologian, and she's going to discuss with us today the impact of wokeism and what, how that impact is affecting the U.S. And, you know, will it tear the country apart? 
Dr. White, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's a real honor to be here. So when you think about wokeism, you know, it has this negative connotation, I guess, when you listen to certain uh, television shows. When, when we're talking about that, aren't we just talking about people understanding differences of opinion? Or is there something, you know, what, what would you consider if you could just advise people on maybe not a definition, but the thought process of what being woke means? Well, I um, I think it may differ from people to people because I'm not sure the whole woke culture knows what wokeism means. Um, I believe that um, we kind of, unfortunately, our country has learned to lead by the extremes, one side or the other, and I appreciate all the facts that you've given and the different topics here. Um, I truly believe that we need to have people who are in the middle who, as you just rightly um, described, that we need to look at the facts, we need to look at the truth and not just talking points, because I think that's what, the, both of those extremes are just crazy. Um, and I think, you know, wokeism, my concern for that is that's going to tear our society apart by, by really canceling out the wonderful history that our country has. I know there are terrible sides to the history as well, but if we erase all the negative points of history, we're also going to erase the, the, the great things that have happened, you know, that we were able to erase slavery, that we were, you know, there's still, I know there's still racial divide. I understand that. I know that's very difficult at times um, because you don't go through 150 years of just, you know, uh, walking through slavery and then through these generations, all of a sudden everything is great. No, <laughs> there's still so many factors that people are dealing with that I do not believe that reversing, you know, the whole paradigm uh, and like excluding all white people, like discrimination, the opposite direction is truly the answer. And I believe that's really what cancel culture and wokeism is trying to do. Well, when we look at, you know, historically, it just seems that it's very difficult. You know, I saw people not too long ago tearing down a statue of Christopher Columbus and saying he's a mm -hmm. colonialist and this, that, and the mm -hmm. other. And, you know, by, by today's standards, okay, maybe he is, but we have to understand, you know, 500 years ago, over 500 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the thinking wasn't the same, you know, he was an explorer. And, you know, if you look in at the U.S. currently, Neil Armstrong is a national hero. I mean, effectively, you could right. call him a colonialist. So yeah. I think these, a lot of these definitions and these uh, sort of, if you call them woke uh, analyses, mm -hmm. you know, we, they, they just really don't make sense to me. Are, are am I missing something or is there, no, I don't think there be you're a missing component anything. of what wokeism is. I'm sorry. I didn't get your last sentence. You lost. Um, uh, shouldn't there be some type of, you know, wokeism applies to the time? I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, mm -hmm, you know, look, mm -hmm. we can all look back and at certain figures in history were just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Hitlers in history were just uh, abhorrent mm -hmm. no matter what they did, you know, at, at any time. But, you know, saying a Christopher Columbus, you know, is a, a mm -hmm. colonialist and we should tear down his statues now, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I was comparing that to Neil Armstrong. Is there, shouldn't there be some type of temporal component to wokeism and we, the analysis mm -hmm. you're using should not apply to, you know, someone who maybe wasn't being a colonialist 400 years ago or 500 years ago, but just was an explorer. Mm -hmm. Right. 
You know, I, I've kind of, I've thought about this a lot. I think that I understand that sometimes these images are very painful for people when they think, well, Christopher Columbus owned slaves and he, you know, manipulated them or tried to convert them all to Christianity in some way. They see that as, you know, being very, um, well, manipulative and just, um, they don't appreciate that. They don't want to see those images, but I, and I do believe there may be a conversation, you know, that perhaps, perhaps those belong in historical societies, museums. I, I don't know. I mean, I want to be sensitive to both sides here. And I do think there is a, a template where we can, can look at this from both directions by finding a really, a, a middle point. I really believe this is what my, um, I'm feeling very zealous about this, that we need to bring back this concept of good trouble and not just being politically divided by that, but but having a good trouble based on relationships rather than ideology. Um, I have seven steps of good trouble that I have created as a result of my studies through um, my book that I wrote about the life of Laura Haviland, who was an abolitionist in the 19th century. And she applied all these steps even before, you know, Senator John Lewis uh, gave this heading to good trouble. I feel like it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful heading. But do you mind if I share those seven steps with you? Please, I'd love to hear them. Okay, so... Uh, the first one is become a friend to someone totally different from you. It is inconvenient to do that, but, and it requires a paradigm shift for us because we are all divided between our, you know, races, between our politics, all of these different ideologies that divide us. But if we truly would become a friend to someone different from ourselves, we would learn so much, I think. And the second one is to, to go a little bit deeper, to seek to understand them with compassion and care. That's exactly what Laura Havlin did in her, her fight against slavery. And she, um, the third one is respect the rights of everyone, including authorities. I mean, I, we don't have to agree, but we can, you know, we don't have diplomats and statesmen and stateswomen anymore. We just have people vying for their positions. And to me, that is so counterproductive in our society. Um, the fourth step is do not judge, strip away labels and stereotypes. And that's a huge one. I mean, <laughs> the things you were talking about, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, if we didn't have these stereotypes in place, couldn't we come to a, a better center point of understanding one another. The fifth one, it passionately promote nonviolent change and action. And that, of course, was Martin Luther King's, um, you know, dream and, and the vision that he had to, to work this out nonviolently, along with John Lewis. Um, step six, seek out, seek out the truth, which I feel like you did a great job in your introduction here. Seek out the truth and not talking points, because our country is just feeding on talking points. And that's where people go on one side or the other side. It's just absolutely absurd because they're not really seeking out the full truth of the matter. And then number seven is what kind of completes it all, but it's a tough one, is to take a stand for forgiveness, sacrifice, and love, even if you must break the law to do so. And that's exactly what Laura Havlin did in her life journey and helping. She aided hundreds 
of, of slaves to freedom. And I just think that this is such an important conversation for our country today. And where do, where do you think we're going with this? I mean, it seems like, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, with social media, a lot of these negative attitudes that people have just, you know, trolls was probably an understatement for some of the, the, mm-hmm. the language that's now used on social media. But mm-hmm. where do we where do you think we're going from here? Are we are we going to move toward a society that, you know, is more open minded or is this wokeism going to uh, potentially you know, lead to even more divisiveness in the country? Well, I mean, it certainly can. I mean, I think if we don't have people of moral character and who really are committed to taking a stand for the truth, if we're all afraid to speak out, it takes a lot of courage to, and like I said, I'm hoping to start a national conversation about these issues because they're so important because I don't, if, you know, it's just Martin Luther King, one man, you know, and his, and he had, he had people with him, but he spoke out. He was a person of courage. We need another person like that today that will do that and take the lead in pulling people. I mean, people just don't want to get involved with it because they don't agree with one side or the other. And so we just don't want to make that stand. And we have to as a country, because I do believe this divisiveness could lead to another civil war if we aren't careful and if we don't really uh, stand up for our convictions. Dr. White, you have a, a book. Can you tell us the name of the book that you wrote? Yeah, it's Underground Angel. And it's the life story um, of Laura Smith Havland. Um, it is historical fiction because there were things I just couldn't include. That I, but everything that she has done, I have kept 100% accurate as far as the stand that she took in fighting against slavery. Um, she worked alongside Sojourner Truth, uh, Susan B. Anthony. I mean, many, many. Um, she worked. She traveled during the Civil War the last year and worked under Edwin Stanton, the Secretary of State. Uh, she worked for the Freedmen's Bureau Association in Washington, D.C., and helped uh, Sojourner Truth together. They changed the streetcar laws in 1865 by um, by standing up for what she believed. They were pushing Sojourner off the streetcar, and Laura Havlin stood up for her and said, this woman belongs to humanity. She is not a possession. And she was just a woman of such strength of character Um so that's my book is about her life. And I feel like we need to get back to these wonderful people who were stood up for their convictions and wokeism is trying to, well, it's trying to cancel culture is trying to cancel all of that out. And we can't let that happen. And that's why I feel like my book is important today. Dr. White, thank you so much for your time today on politics and life science radio. Mm-hmm. I'd like thank to thank you, you so for much. joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio. This is Dean Finale. Dr. White brought up a lot of really important points. And I think, you know, one of the, the key points that I want, really want to reiterate is, you know, the need for leadership. And I think more importantly, the need for selfless leadership. That's one of the things I think that's missing today. We have leaders that and our current leaders, they seem like they're running to win elections and not running to help America and not running to help the people. And I think that's what Dr. White was alluding to when she mentioned we need more people like Dr. Martin Luther King that selflessly are out there trying to make change and not just to have, you know, 10 million followers on Twitter or to sell a book or to, you know, be a social media influencer, but truly to 
make change and effectuate change in our country for a positive uh, outcome. Uh, you know, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with Dr. White. And I want to thank her for joining us today. Check out her book. And thank you all for joining us today on Politics and Life Science Radio, where we talk about all the issues in the life science industry, as well as politics in our country. Thank you and have a great week. Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.